You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into people's life journey, not just talking about their most recent accomplishments and what I may know them for, even though we usually always get to those, but what happened in their life? How did they get here? I love knowing the details or as many as I can get to. (laughs) And I think it supports us in getting out of our own way to seeing that life isn't a straight upward line. Uh, There might be some twists and turns. It's all good. On today's episode, I have Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. Uh, She does a lot of work with destigmatizing divorce. She has a new book out called Light at the Other Side of Divorce, Discovering the New You. She writes a weekly column for Psychology Today about moving through divorce. She's known on social media as The Divorce Doctor. She has a podcast called The Divorce Doctor. She's a clinical psychologist, and um, she works with people on a lot more than divorce, but that just become her passion. And we're going to learn why and how and a lot more because I had a lot of fun talking to her, which you will see. Here we go. So I like talk starting with um, sort of like what did you want to grow do when you grow up, but like yeah like what was life like for you growing up especially in the teenage years and yeah did you have were you someone that had some like I'm gonna be this or were you just like okay high school and then I go to college like where were you at in that space? Well, I in high school so I went to an ultra orthodox okay. Jewish day school. So I was a girl going through adolescence in one of the most like oppressive patriarchal system. So I just wanted, what I wanted was actually to get out of there, but I didn't know how best to do it. So I would go back and forth from being like religious and following the rules and then like rebelling and having a cheeseburger because I, I, I was trying to find some movement and I didn't know how to get that. So yeah. So if and growing up there, I'm guessing they're not pushing you to go to college. Like, is it? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. Because they. Well, I went to this. Yeah, I went to this really like the worst of both worlds in some ways. I grew up in I'm in New York City, and so it was a private kind of Ivy prep for the English part, and then this like six other subjects for the religious part. So it was like, you were supposed to be both. You were supposed to be like, go to an Ivy league college and also be kind of subservient and learn the Bible. It was such a wild mixture, but I, the, the things I thought about was like math teacher and biology teacher. Like it was definitely not the like highest. It was like a little bit in my place. Cause that's what the women were at the school. Those kinds of teachers. Got it. So they weren't like you get educated and then you become a housewife. It was like you were meant to be super educated and you could have a job, but like, yeah, like don't expect too much. Like don't be in a position of power. Like, yeah, like what were the messages that you were getting as to what you should be as an Orthodox woman, Jewish? 
Well, that was really confusing, Trisha, to be honest, because as you said that, as you say this, I think, no, you were supposed to be highly educated and then still be a housewife. Like many people I graduated with, there's this one woman, she, I'll never, she was top of my class. She went to Harvard. She has like seven children, never worked. And that's basically what we were set up to do. So to strive for it all, but not necessarily for ourselves, maybe for pride of our parents. There's this kind of Jewish thing called nachis where parents get um, pride from things you do. So, yeah, it sounds like a status thing. Like you want, yeah, your kids and we have the money maybe to afford to send them to that school and they are educated and smart enough to be accepted to that school. But we don't really want you to do anything with that. <laughs> wow. Right. It's a real, as, as a therapist, I will say that is what we call a double bind. That is like the bind. And I was um, the scholarship kid. So I also had to kind of really think about where I could afford to go. And then also there was always this sense of I was so lucky to be there as the one on scholarship. Um, so it was really like, for lack of a better word, a pretty big mind fuck. Yeah. And at the same time, and is it mixed girls and boys at the school? It was, believe it or not. It was. And so what type of messaging are the boys getting? Do you remember or did you pick up? Yeah, they're definitely, I mean, they're definitely getting the message that in roles of authority, that that's where men strive. So like the principal, the head of the school, the heads of anything are men. And while we did have classes together twice a day, I was just telling my 13 year old, she almost fell over um, because we're not religious at all anymore. Twice a day, we would um, go into prayer and then we would separate. And all of the exciting stuff was happening on the men's section. So the women were just, the girls were just on the side praying, doing, not participating at all. And then we were supposed to go to like AP history and be equal. Like it was just talk about, I mean, it was such a confusing message, but the implicit message was people in power were the men and that you needed to make sure also never to kind of outshine them. That was an implicit message too. So when you were saying you were like sort of feeling these like rebellious you know, things and like wanting to leave. Did you know people that had like left so that like that allowed you to do that? Or were you just like, I know that I don't like this, but I don't know, you know? Yeah. So there were definitely people who left and they were kind of seen as deserters. I mean, I I don't know if that happens in any school where you have this, all this cognitive dissonance because it's so intense and so hard. And so someone leaves and you're like, they're pathetic for leaving because we're so great because we stayed. So there was definitely that message. And it was, I have never really thought about this, even in all the thousands of hours of therapy I've been in, but this being in the school was like a double bind, but I was also in my family of origin in a double bind because one of of my parents was religious and one was not. Uh, and so I think that was also why I played those two roles. Like I couldn't really be either one. Um, and I was secretly trying, I was, I mean, I got in trouble a lot. Like I would wear two short skirts. I would talk during prayer. And I always say now, like if, if there had been anyone thoughtful there, they would have been like, this girl is getting in. Tr- like, what is she trying to say? Like, what is she what is she trying? She doesn't, no kid ever wants to be the bad kid, but I wanted someone to say like, are you unhappy here? But no one did that. It just became, you know, more punitive. Yeah. I mean, I think that's 
I feel like that has to resonate for so many people in a different way. But like, yeah, it's like the people that are acting out in many ways, it's like they're really looking for attention, love, support in their ways that they're not receiving it. So they turn to be, yeah, the readout list. I'm saying they. I'm like, I'm seeing that in myself and like, but I'm guessing, I'm trying to not generalize, but also <laughs> say I think that lasts for many people. But um, so your parents, were they not together or did they live in the same home and where one was religious and one was not? Yeah, they lived in the same home. And it's interesting because my work now, one of my pieces of my work is about divorce. And I think part of that is because my parents so desperately should have gotten divorced. You know, my parents didn't get divorced and they had essentially the conflict um, with me in the middle a lot of the time. And it was horrifically difficult to manage both of their needs. And so, which is also not my job as a kid. So they did live together and um, it was really pretty hard. Were you the only child? No, I have a younger, much younger sister. She's six years younger than me. And I've spent so much time in therapy thinking like she doesn't have, hasn't had the same kind of struggles I've had um, and the relationship struggles that I've had. And my therapist once said to me, you know, you really protected her. And I remember doing that. I really was there to protect her from some of the craziness by just kind of taking a lot of it. Okay. Thanks for all of that background. So then what happens? I'm not, not to mean like light. No, I was like, really, I could keep going there. No, I just gave you like, so much. talking for 90 <laughs> minutes give about <laughs> this experience because I am very interested. <laughs> so I, I was like, I'm sorry. I'm like, I realize I sometimes might come off to people listening as like uncaring. <laughs> I'm trying to no, say you were task. very caring. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens then? Yeah, like do you uh when you graduate from that high school, do you go to like a place that you are meant to go as an Orthodox woman in the next step? Or do you start to step away? Like, yeah, what happens? Yeah, I totally started to step away. So most of the people went to Ivy League colleges that also had a really good Jewish community or a Hillel system is what they called it. Um, and I went to Tufts University, which I mean, they had a Hillel, but it was like not like a lot of the other big colleges that people went to. I never stepped foot in Hillel. I never dated another Jewish guy again. Um, both of my husbands are not Jewish. Um, I had, I just had no interest in it at all. So I really, um, deeply separated from it in a way that I only had to kind of figure out if I wanted to reconnect to it. And honestly, it's an ongoing process when my children were born and, um, they also became the age of potentially having a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. That was really when it came up for me. Um, so. Yeah. So, and was Tufts, University was that one like and did you have the parent that was you know make following the Orthodox was that parent like were your parents both behind your choosing that school because was that like approved one but then you just went and were like f all this I'm starting over exactly it was approved status wise and I think they just never really asked that's what my religious parent did which is kind of how he handles all things which is like ignorance is bliss like he just never asked. And then when I started dating people who weren't Jewish, he just, in a narcissistic way, you know, thought it was a slight against him. Like it was just always about, you know, them in some way. Got it. And I, 
I like somewhat understand about the totally different. I was raised Catholic, not as strict with that, but like, well, I went to all Catholic schools. We went to church every Sunday and I, at a young age, felt myself pull back from it. And I feel great, but yeah, I can still with my kids even being like seeing like people getting the baptism, the first communion or like these things. And I'm like, oh, right. Or my kid, this is funny. My friend has a cat named Jesus. And so that is who my kids know as Jesus. (laughs) And I sometimes will be like, hmm, do I need to be like preparing them for like once upon a time there was a man named Jesus and people believe. And so then even like, what am I supposed to be telling them about Jesus? And it's an interesting, (laughs) it is an interesting thing. Yes. And it's that moment where you realize like your stuff's coming up that I, you know, was I holding them back from this because of my history? And luckily I live in New York City where there is the most amazing um, um, community, which is a, a synagogue that is God optional, everybody friendly, like progressive, progressive. So we have found a home that's right for our family, but I, I still have the resistance. Every time we we do something, I feel the resistance. I, we so need to go on, but since I brought that up, this was so funny. This is what happened the other day. I don't know if I said, oh, Jesus, or I think my three-year-old said, oh, Jesus, or whatever. And then I was like, or something. And Zia was like, why do you say, oh, people say, oh, Jesus, when something is bad. I bet that's why his cat is named Jesus, because he does bad stuff. And I was like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that's what my kid is thinking yes. that Jesus means. <laughs> Something bad or the cat. Apologizing to people out there that do love and believe Jesus. I have my own relationship with religion. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, so you then, what was that like though? So in college, you sort of were like, did you see it as a place? Okay, I can sort of like start over. I get to be whoever I want. Like I can drop this. Hold on. Totally. The biggest thing, honestly, Trisha, was I could wear pants. So in high school. Yeah, I'm forgetting because I don't know everything, but I have had a previous guest on that had sort of, yeah, she was raised Orthodox and then broke away too. So she, Adels, you know, I think was, is her name. Um, Yeah. But yeah, you couldn't even wear pants. Yeah. So I could wear pants or I could wear a tank top or um, I could eat milk and meat together. Like I just had so many freedoms that I hadn't had before. And so I was really, um, testing things out, but of course with this, with this push, you know, it's like any sort of pendulum I had been over here. So I was being thrown over. Like, I don't think I had the, the real kind of middle ground learning about myself. I was just rebelling against what I had been experienced as being oppressive towards me. And what did you then like study in college? Was that something to, Because that's, yeah, if you had only been sort of told these are your options, you know, was that something the whole way that you had been sort of in the back of your mind being like, F you, or did you buy into that? And Exactly. Yeah, I totally bought into it. I was going to be a math teacher or a biology teacher. Again, um, so all the Judaic studies were taught by men and most of the humanities studies were taught by men in English. But for some reason, the biology and math, I had some female teachers. So I took my first biology class and I got a C and I was like, I, I hate biology and I hate math. And so I took a psychology class in my second semester of my first year. And I remember just being blown away by um, the idea that we could understand 
our human perception. Like in some ways I had always felt like something was wrong, like something was going on, but everyone was kind of walking around like everything was fine. And here was this field of study about understanding what we feel and think and perceive. And it was so um, inspiring to me. And so the opposite of what I had experienced, which was like, just follow the leader. It was like individual thinking. So is that, so what, with that first class, did you, were you like right away, like, this is what I want to do? Totally. I was done. I had, and I had no exposure to, I had no exposure to psychology. I, we had no exposure to like philosophy. I, we, we, you know, we really weren't, I don't think supposed to have a lot of flexible thinking. And so I thought, I want to understand how people and how societies work and why they work. Like, I just was so excited that that was a field of study. And so, yeah. So where did that take you from there? You graduated with a degree in psychology? Yeah. So I was really fortunate, actually. I was really fortunate at Tufts. They had a clinical psychology major, which is actually really unusual for colleges. So I could take... Uh, clinical classes and actually have an internship in my senior year at a day treatment program for adolescents. So I really got um, to take specifically clinical based classes, which was really exciting. And what does that actually mean? Clinical? <laughs> yeah, sorry. So, so, so people think, so I'm a, you know, psychologist who practices therapy, but there's tons of different kinds of psychologists. There's organizational psychologists who help build companies and lay it out. There's experimental psychologists who work with rats and mice in a laboratory. There's social psychologists who try to understand how social beings and systems work within our society. So there's lots of different kinds of psychology and what clinical psychology is, is working one-on-one with people. So I was learning family therapy. I was learning um, about different struggles and disorders. And generally in a, in that, in if you were just gone to a program, a bachelor degree program, you wouldn't yeah. be already able to do that. Exactly. You would have had to take more of the general classes. I was able to really specialize and I didn't even know. I mean, that's one of the things I tell people, like, I didn't know that going to that school and then it just opened up in that way. So you can't predict it. And so what, then, yeah, when you graduate, did you right away start practicing? When I graduated, I got a job as a research assistant. That's the kind of the, I knew I wanted to get, oh, I actually applied to PhD programs my senior year and I didn't get in. Um, and it's a really hard, there's a, like you, like they take five people and, you know, so many hundreds of people apply. So it's really hard to get in. So I decided to work and um, work at a research institute and try that for a couple of years and then reapply. And then I applied to get my PhD. So I worked for a couple of years. And do you, so the PhD, like, yeah, like what made you want to get the PhD? Are you able to do different things or is it just for your own edu- like education? Like well, you just crave more education or? No, I mean, I think only until we're talking, it's a remnant of that high school of the prestige. I mean, I think that's what it is. I was wondering, cause yeah, you have been, it's been built into you. Like you need to get like all you, but like, let me take all of this education so that it says something about me. Totally. Is that right? And Sorry. my parents, 100%. <laughs> <So re-projecting. laughs> no, 100%. <laughs> Not that you can relate. Um, yes. And in fact, my parents, you know, quote unquote joke that they used to call me Dr. Elizabeth Cohen when I was a baby. So there was a lot of pressure to be highly educated and, and get that higher degree. I never thought 
about anything else. You can be a therapist in many other ways. I'm sure ways I would have been happy, but I just thought that that's the most prestigious. That's what I have to pursue. Interesting. Yeah, I wasn't because obviously like getting more education is great, like whatever. But I'm never somebody who had like wanted to go to school or anything like that. So for me, that's like an intriguing thing. Like, well, what makes you like, wait, if you didn't need to, if you could actually practice, like what makes people want to go to that next step? Yeah. Um, okay. So you did start, are you able to do the research that job first and then went and got the PhD and did the practice? Yeah. And, and did you know too, like, so now, yeah, now you're known as the divorce doctor. Yeah. How, where did that evolution come? Did you immediately start with just general, like yeah. family psychology? Yeah. And then- so, and again, I mean, I just want to say, you know, I work with a lot of adolescents and young adults who are trying to decide their career path. And this, you know, those of us who are older, like, you know, we look, it looks, it looks like I have this path that you can totally understand and it makes perfect sense. But like, I didn't plan any of it. Right. So like I got this re- the first research job that I, they found on the computer, you know, he happened to um, work with someone who went at my graduate school um, and I got trained in cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety. And it turns out that's exactly what was right for me. It was the right fit, but I didn't know that going in, you know, everyone like hustle, like worry so much about like finding the right place. I have to take the perfect right next step. Yeah. No, that's why I like getting into all of this. It's like, we can look like everything is always, and usually things are like a ziggy exactly, like, lines and very confused. <laughs> and <laughs> Exactly. And also like, also very unconscious as it, my, as my story is of like, why did I choose this? And so I did cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety um, and treated children and adolescents and adults and only realized, you know, a few years into it that as a kid, I had had a lot of anxiety myself and I had gone to a therapist and I think she had done CBT with me. So it was also like, you know, it can, you can think of that as a narrative, but it wasn't even part of my, my consciousness, but it really resonated with me because of my own anxiety and my own, um, you know, appreciation for that kind of work. Um, and then, well, that's too, I'm familiar with the term CBT, but yeah, for anybody else who's not, who's listening out there, like what, yeah, what is CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Thanks for asking me to clarify that. Um, so it's cognitive behavioral therapy is a modality of therapy. I usually like to describe it as, you know, when you watch therapy on TV, um, First of all, it's usually not that accurate, but that's more of what we call psychodynamic or Freudian therapy, where you're focusing on your past and how your family and your history might be impacting what you're doing today. And while that's valuable and is a piece of cognitive behavioral therapy, we really focus on how your thoughts and behaviors are impacting your life right now. So it's more problem-focused, present-focused, solution-focused, um, not unlike what a lot of coaches do. Um And, but we do also look at beliefs from the past, like coaches too, um, and how they're impacting you in in the present. So that's, that's what cognitive behavioral therapy is. And it's the proven treatment for anxiety disorders, um, OCD and obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder. Um, Those are the ones that research shows that it's really helpful for. Yeah. I've only, I've just like, yeah, looked up a brief description because I've been told several times by therapists that a lot of what I share is like similar to CBT. And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and so, I, but I still, I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm like, I, because it, I mean, I'm not trained 
in that. But yeah, I mean, I've taken all these different things, but yeah, a lot of, that's just how I'm able to process. When I'm always sharing how I can process, which is catching the thought. What can I, like, how can I change this? Which is looking at beliefs. So exactly. Just, that was just how I've been able to heal and process and move forward <laughs> in my life. Right. But what I think is so great about your work, Trisha, is that when we challenge people, their thoughts, we usually want them to come up with a coping thought, not necessarily a positive thought, but a coping thought. And so much of what you provide are mm. coping thoughts. And those are, are things people can really take with them. So when they're in the situations of anxiety, they can say them to counteract that habitual anxious thought. Thank you for that. I'm going to be like taking that to my what do I do? I help run coping thoughts. <laughs> you do. You do. Also, especially like I'm even going to change, you know, my Instagram name from your dry. I'll just, I'm going to mm. go back to like Trisha Huffman for the first time mm. going back. No, I'm actually going to be like, use my name. Anyway, I've been worried about, do I come off too toxic positivity now that like mm. people are more aware of that? I'm aware of that, aware of that. And so like, yes, I do infuse positivity, but yeah, like I've been trying to like, how can I talk about what I share in different ways? So I do like, I'm like, oh, I have a word, coping thoughts. <laughs> like I can use that more. Yeah, <laughs> because because all of your thoughts, they, they come from a core anxious thought that you're challenging, which is what we do in cognitive behavioral therapy. And then we carry the more, I mean, we call them more realistic thoughts, really. They're not positive thoughts. They're just more realistic based on the evidence. Yeah, which I mean, I definitely do. I share a lot yes. of positive-minded thoughts, and myself, my own work is that. But at the same time, yes, that I'm very rooted in reality, and so that's one thing I have always been like. I'm very realistic. What I'm sharing is reality-based. Anyway, enough about me again. <laughs> <laughs> I love talking about you. Great. That's my job. <laughs> but I also want to thank you for yeah, like describing more about CBT because I think that's helpful because people can be like they just see therapy as like let me sit and talk like let me talk for an hour about like they're just going to ask me about. About, yeah, like my past or something like that. Yeah. And I want people to know also that you are the consumer with therapy. So if you sit there and you don't feel like it's working for you, you can talk to somebody else. I feel like people don't ever get permission to do that, but just because you found someone does not mean you have to stay for, with them forever. There, we have different modalities. We have different personality styles. Like you are the consumer. Okay. That was our CBT therapy break ad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. I feel like I always have to say that. I'm like, but it's good. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, you started to do the CBT yeah. for anxiety, mostly with kids. No. You go back to get the PhD. I'm doing the PhD. I For PhD, it's so long. It takes so many years of classes and then you have to do an internship. And then I was actually asked to be the director of the CBT clinic at Bellevue Hospital. <sighs> Once I finished my internship, which was a real honor. And I did that. And I did a lot of teaching of residents and a lot of um, guiding because I think it's really important. New York is funny. It's still pretty Freudian. And so being someone who has cognitive behavioral therapy experience was really needed to, to train. And then I started working one-on-one -on -one in, my, in my private practice. And there I was seeing um, people who had anxiety, people who had depression, and some people who had relationship issues. And then I started seeing more and more people who were going through divorce. And then I went through my own divorce while I was still being a therapist, which was interesting challenge. Um, and I wanted to provide help to people who've gone through divorce because there was couples therapy, and there's family therapy, but there really wasn't anything geared towards people specifically going through a divorce. And when I got divorced, I Googled to look for divorce recovery and I couldn't find anything. And I realized at that point that it was sending me the message that I wasn't going to recover. 
because I couldn't find anything. So I went to this like place in the mid- like middle of nowhere, upstate New York with this wonderful woman, but it felt like I was flashback into 1975. We read like a book from 1960 about getting past your past. Like I just tried everything, but nothing, there was nothing sticking. So that was when I thought, oh, this is really something that needs um, some attention and some focus from someone who has a lot of training in different therapy modalities. And so- First of all, you mentioned you were like, you know, I was getting a divorce while also being a therapy. And you said like something like then that was interesting or whatever. And yeah. are you saying that because like were you at that time, especially you're like seeking for someone to heal and recover, were you because feeling like I'm divorced and that's wrong? I failed. Like, is that what was making mm. like what yeah, where were you at that was like just like you're going through a hard time? Like divorce is just hard and then you're showing up to be there for other people. Was that? Yeah, it was, I had to like compartmentalize a lot. I mean, my divorce was also, I um, was married to someone who suffered from the disease of alcoholism. So even before we got divorced, I was, um, that was really impacting our family. I had a six month old and a two year old when I asked him to leave. So it was very chaotic. And so that felt like this incredibly chaotic. I was out of control. I couldn't get this person to change because you can't change anybody besides yourself. And then I would go to work and be like the expert. And I just felt like I was living two separate lives to be perfectly honest. Like in between the, this, my session breaks, I would like check my phone and get these wild messages from my babysitter. And, you know, just, and I thought, how are these people listening to me? Like, how am I the one giving this advice and guidance when my life is falling apart? So that was, that was really challenging. Hmm. Can you now feel like have compassion for that version of you? And like, people are allowed to be amazing oh psychologists God. that show up for people and be going through like messy, unfair, shitty times, you know, like, <laughs> cause like, that's what we do. Right. Totally. In, in fact, yeah. I'm like, she was amazing. Right. In fact, I'm like, shit, she was amazing. She was so brave. She showed up. She was, and I really wasn't like, what we say, like dissociated. I wasn't like denying my experience and pretending I was someone else. I was actually real. I mean, I wasn't telling people my problem, my problems, but I was myself feeling all my feelings and then still showing up for my clients. So yeah, no, I feel like I was super brave and, um, yeah, I, I feel really proud of her. Um, I just never want to have to be in that situation again. But like, don't you feel, I don't know if that's where it was coming, like what you even were referencing was a little bit like, that's the conditioning that we have though. It's sort of like, you can't be helping anybody, giving any advice, whatever. Even if you are like, that is your job that you were educated about, that you have so much skills in and experience in because like, oh, but if like, yeah, like, oh, if somebody knew this about my life, they wouldn't trust me or something like that. Like we are sort of taught to like hide and we have to be perfect. We can't, you know launch something until everything's perfect. You can't do this. You can't do that. Like everything has to be perfect and good. And like, what will people know? Totally. And I'm, yeah, like bad stuff happened in my life. Right. (laughs) And I'm really, or whatever. And I'm really experiencing that now because as a therapist, we are really taught to be blank slates. Like we're not supposed to have any, any photos, any information whatsoever. So now he's, as a therapist. So then when I came out with my book, which is, you know, my story and other people's stories, like that is been, that has been very tender to me and very revealing. Like we're not taught to be visible. And so to be visible in that way really goes against how we were trained. I mean, I, I think it's incredibly important and I have no, I have no qualms about it now. Of course I wrote the book, but it does go against the grain of what we're taught. 
So it's more like you're fighting against, like, again, what you were taught. Because you're supposed to, like, you don't talk about yourself. You don't share, like, personal things. Yeah, you don't even have photos up so they don't see you as whatever. And then right. the fact that you are using to use your personal stories and share this book that you know you're doing good. But, yeah, it's like you're sort of battling with the conditioning that you have. Exactly. Which I, again, as you're so beautifully pointing out, which is what I've been doing, you know, did a lot of my life, like a lot of conditioning to be a certain way and, and breaking free. And as we all do, I think. As, <laughs> like, and as you know, my, my book is called F the Shits exactly. to the Woods. So I'm very good at picking up conditioning and shoulds and <laughs> what could be laying under what is motivating how we feel about ourselves and talk to ourselves yes. and the choices we make. Yes. <laughs> Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption to remind you of some awesome things that I have to support you and empower you. One, I have a daily inspiration app. It's only $3.99. That's a one-time purchase, no ads or upselling or any of that. And it has hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations to support you, empower you, get you out of your own way. You can set a timer in the app so that you get a reminder to pull the card. I just opened it and I got, I am worthy of being supported. I am worthy of receiving. I am worthy of being held. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. I also have a line of products in my shop, shop.yourjoyologist.com. My current favorite is the Daily Connection Journal. It has daily prompts that are easy for you to get in tune with yourself. What do you want? What are you grateful for? What can you acknowledge yourself for? Check that out and lots of other products in the shop. And I also am back to offering my one-on-one coaching to really go deep with you. It's a three-month commitment and there is no way you can come out of it (laughs) without changing because I am with you every single freaking day cheering you on, loving you up, calling you out, calling you to look deeper, whether there is some dream you've been wanting to create or you just really want to make changes in your mind and in your life. And so you need that accountability and a loving badass supporting you every step of the way. So for that, you can go to yourdrologist.com and there's a work with me thing. You can email me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. You can DM me for more info. Hit me up. So starts from $3.99 to a big ass investment. I got lots of things to support you. Let's get back to this episode. So, okay, so you went through the divorce and then you realized there was this missing like space to serve. Because yeah, I'm guessing, yeah, you said there's like couples counseling at that time and personal but yeah was it sort of made to feel like yeah you wanted to recover is that the word that you said like recovering yeah I wanted to recover I wanted to I like people just feel supported like this is what's right for you like is that what were you like wanting to right. get from a therapist and to give that was me yeah I didn't want to think that it was a failure like I didn't want to feel like I had fucked up I didn't want to feel like it was over I was 32 I had two young kids like I was like this can't be, this isn't my end of my life. I mean, this, there's just gotta be this next chapter. I just need to need to figure out how to, how to get there. And I want to, and I want to heal. I want to heal what I just went through and step into something new. Um, I guess I just, I knew it wasn't finished, but I didn't know how to, 
how to get to that next chapter. Cause I knew it wasn't just like dating somebody new. I knew there had to be some inner work. And uh, yeah. So did you like, yeah. Did you start creating yourself as more like, how did that start? Like, I mean, I just, I put little pieces together. Like I tell the story in the book that one day I was walking by, dropped my daughter off at preschool and I was walking by, um, a gym studio. And there was a sign that said kickboxing class, like first one free. And I called my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband and said, um, I just walked by this kickboxing class. I thought maybe it would be good for me to release some of my anger. And before I could even say anger, he's like, yes, 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 yes. I was like, okay. And he's a very like passive kind person. I was like, Oh, am I angry? He's like, I think you have some feelings you could move through. And so like I did that, or I, um, went to support groups for people who were with people who are alcoholics. Like I, I pieced together these different pieces of healing, um, that I then put together for other people. But I, I kind of, because of my education, I was able to pull together what, what worked. And so, yeah, like, did you end up then I know you, so you still do not just, people going through divorce. But when did you start to like lean into like, yeah, even like calling yourself the divorce doctor and sorry, (laughs) but like, that's, I mean, that's how I got introduced to you still like from, yeah, you asked me to contribute to where do you, was that for? For psychology today. For psychology today, which thank you very much that, yeah, you have a regular column there, right? And it's as the divorce doctor. Yeah. And so, yeah, like where did that start with the like, you, it happened with your own divorce and feeling like yeah. there needed to be the space, but like actually acting on it and putting yourself, because, you know, putting having yeah. an idea and seeing a need for something and then actually like putting it into action is two different things. Yeah. And it's also, so it, for me, it was interesting. It, it coincided with when my children started becoming, were about 11 and 12, where they started kind of having this, um, separation from me actually. And like interest in their own things where I started having this itch in my work to do something beyond just one-to-one. Like I just, I saw them, I guess in some ways having the adolescence that I couldn't have like so much freedom to be interested in things. And I thought, I want to, I want to do something different. And so I wanted to teach something um, either online or I, I, yeah, mostly online, just to a bigger audience. And I just, I thought a lot about what I could teach. Cause as you said, I, I, you know, um, work with people who have other issues beyond struggles. Um, and then it just occurred to me, like the thing that, that like my, the most important thing that happened that I did, and that's happened for me and my legacy is how I healed through my divorce, how I have the most abundant, wonderful life that I would not have had if I hadn't been divorced. And I just thought that's what I have to teach. Like I, I that's it. And so that's how it just, it came from me. I, I really believe that um, as corny as it sounds, like this is what I was put on this earth to do to help change the stigma of divorce, because believe it or not, we still have such a huge stigma about divorce. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I never got married, but I, yeah, like in the last year transition to my relationship is the word I use. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I have two kids with a someone. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I didn't choose to get married. So I don't feel Mm -hmm. like it doesn't, it affects me differently, even in the fact of the transition, like I get, but I have several friends in the last couple years too, that have gone through 
divorces are, are in it and two. And it does. I notice that there still can be, even though they know. And like, and these are people too that are in like, you know, they've lovingly had conversations and worked and tried to make it work. And they're lovingly, you know, choosing to move on. But of course I can somewhat make it harder because <laughs> you're like, oh, but you're so loving and respectful. But like that, that there is still this like fear of like, telling people or admitting it or you know and it's just so interesting because I'm like I get it and at the same time I'm like but really like or even you know like it's like really like it's okay and it's I think it is it's just again that's such a deep-rooted conditioning like thing that it somehow is bad or wrong and I'm like but these days I'm guessing most the kids in school like of course it's gonna like infect your kids but I'm like I'm guessing half the kids at school probably do have divorced parents or, you know, like when I was a kid, that was very rare. (laughs) And I also am a child of parents that I wanted to get divorced their entire, they Mm. had a terrible relationship and they finally got divorced when I was 22. Like when I was graduating college and I'm the youngest and they called to tell me because they thought Trisha will be so happy for us because I had like really wanted it to get divorced <laughs> and I like laughed and I was like now you're getting divorced it still was great and it changed a right. life and like I saw them happy for the first time in their lives after the right. divorce so there's still no matter if you're out there and you're like well we've whatever we've made it even our youngest has made it through college and hasn't lived at home for four years we might as well stick it out there is still time for you <laughs> to be happy and regain your life I saw my mom do it right but um yeah, like it's so it's just like it's shocking to me that it still can feel like such a like stigma and it's wrong when it seems like so unfortunate that it is like normal these days. And for me, I'm like, I don't know if yeah, like I think it's amazing that people can be in relationships and be married for 50 years and that you can actually still see their love and respect and love for that. But I'm like, I just don't know if. Like we put too much pressure on like the fairy tale movies and the definitely and the definitely I'm gonna meet the one person that I love and so if you made that choice and it doesn't work out or you grow apart or whatever ends up happening, that doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you or the other person or your relationship and you messed up and you made a wrong choice like that. We're so easy to make ourselves wrong for things and feel bad and it's just like that's just like life. Exactly. Evolve and grow and parts of it are really painful. Right. And if, and that's life, if you're, if you're really living it, right. If you're really, I mean, I talk about the people who get divorced as superheroes, you know, the bravest of the brave, because they're basically saying either this isn't working for me, or if my partner's coming to me and saying it's not working for them, accepting it. It's like, talk about being in reality. It's like being in the realness of what's happening between two people, instead of pretending to keep some ancient, idea of marriage going. Yeah. I've actually in, yeah, recently when people, friends of mine, like find out, you know, cause I'm actually getting ready to move to a different city being like, okay, like we have two different, we've been moving in the same house, which has worked for us. I live in the guest room. It was during the times of COVID. It happened before that, but anyway, but so not everybody really had known. Cause we also haven't really seen that many people <laughs> Anyway, so now more people will know and they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'll say, oh, there's no need to tell me you're sorry. You can congratulate me. 
Like, I, <laughs> like that's what I say I, all the time. And I feel like I was like, oh, it's okay. But I get it. Like, that's our default. Oh, I'm sorry that it didn't work out. Or I'm sorry that you guys are going your different ways. Or I'm sorry this. And like, I get that. But I also have just like, yeah, I could just say thank you. And I don't say it in a mean way. But I'm just like, oh, it's okay. You don't yeah. need to be sorry. Like, honestly, congratulate me because like, this is a really big deal that I'm proud of myself for making like right <laughs> right and that you're changing I love that you're doing that Trisha because you're changing in that moment you're actually doing what we call cognitive restructuring you're changing the way someone's thinking see you're always doing CBT and I have this I talk about in the book too that people said one of two things to me they said oh my god I'm so sorry or how did you do that you have such young kids and I can tell you a secret as a therapist we are just walking Rorschach tests like people project onto us all the time. So the person who says they're so sad is would feel so sad if their marriage ended. The person who's like, how did you get out? Tell me all about it. Wants to get out, right? So it's actually never about you. So I love what you're doing, which is that you're sharing this other message. And I suggest that too, for people to say, one thing is like to say like, oh, you don't, please, you know, I'm actually really grateful. Now I get to watch Law and Order in bed and eat whatever I want or something like talk about the positive thing about it. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's the same. It's like, it's mostly like, I don't like, no, I don't really like, like I, I, what I get is like, I appreciate that in someone saying, sorry, they're showing me love or compassion, but I'm Mm -hmm. like, that actually doesn't make me feel great. The sorry, (laughs) it doesn't make sense for me. Right. So yeah, like the sharing that the congratulations is the shifting of like how I am remembering to feel about it and how I do feel about, but also like, Hey, it's like, cause yeah, like, cause we're all stuck in this conditioning of, okay, I need to be sorry. And like, no, like it's a good thing. Exactly. It's hard. But I also, since we brought that up and you were saying what you give advice, I I do have a friend that is going through divorce and it is still like, again, like a time where it's like, I know that this is what's best, but also a lot of grievances for the future that they had imagined. Exactly. And so she's not in the place to take the congratulation phrase that I offered to her, <laughs> which I was like, I get it. Yeah. Like what, but again, like not wanting to like, yeah. What do you have other thoughts to tell to people that aren't in the space of like, congrats, like, yeah, congratulate me. Right. But also well, don't I enjoy mean, receiving. I'm sorry. Also, this could be for anybody who has a friend that's going through any sort of, yeah. It's like, let's right. watch our sorries. Let's watch how we're sourying people. <laughs> But what do we say instead? What do we say instead? Right. Well, I think it's always great to say, how can I help you? What support do you need? I am here for you in any way. It's this assumption that we know what somebody wants is the problem. Yeah. Or or needs. Totally. So, yeah. So if somebody were to find out about this person going out, instead of saying, I'm so sorry to hear I heard, or I'm so sorry to hear going through this, just like, hey, I love you. Let me know how to support you. Or something like exactly. I love you. Let me know how I can support you. I'm always here for you. And they might say, like, can you please pick like I did, like, can you please pick up my kids from school? I mean, it might be something like that, right? Like, I don't need you to take me out for you know a drink and hear all my worries. It might just be something that they really need. So I I always think it's best to say, tell me what you need. Yeah. Well, and I think too, a lot of times it's people that are not even that close that are going to be the people that pick up the kids. It's just people that you know, that you do love. And so then you're like, oh, I want this person to know that I'm thinking Oh, I see. Like a, right, right. You know what I mean? But yeah, just even the fact of just telling someone then, hey, I heard I'm thinking of you instead of I'm sorry. 
Right. Right. Not I'm no, no emotional valence. Just like, I'm here for you. Just like if you heard that someone got a new job, like I, you know, I heard you got a new job. Let me know if there's anything I can do. You got, you bought a new house. Let me know what you like. It's, it's a new stage. You don't know how the person person might get a new house because they got evicted and they're feeling terrible. I mean, it's just like why, when people ask, like, are you going to have children? I mean, people ask questions that no one should ever ask. Yeah. I've had myself catch lately catching myself if I were to find out about something like that. I am such a naturally curious person, but then a Paul Hervey makes it about me. Like, how didn't I know this? So I need more details. So I'm going to check in because I'm going to hope that they're going to tell me the whole scoop. Like that is realistically how I have operated, but it's from a place of love, but it's really also a place from me feeling like they must not love me if I didn't know this. So now I need to get everything. So I have had to Mm. catch myself lately be like, okay, yeah, what is, what is the point here of me reaching out? It's because yeah. I love and support them. So how can I show that to them? Like, yeah, I want to know every detail and I'm there for them, but they might not be in the space to give me every detail. And that doesn't mean that they don't love me and care me and trust about me. They maybe don't really want to talk to every person they've ever met, even if they really love me and I'm amazing. <laughs> like, right. like, you know, but yeah, like I would find myself making it to be about me. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, tell me. And so then you're like sending a message hoping to get details or something. Because then they'll make me feel like they love me because they gave me details. Exactly. Because they had to constantly being like, what am I like? Why am I sending? Why am I reaching out? Why am I? Because I want them to know that I love them. Okay. So I'm just going to say that. So I'm just going to say I love you. Exactly. And one of the things, there's this amazing exercise where people can feel energetically if we're like leaning in and like worried about them and, and versus like we, there's an exercise where as a therapist, you think like, um, I believe in your ability to heal. Like you just sit back and you think, I believe in your ability to heal. And it's amazing. Clients will just come up with their stuff. As opposed to like, I do that anytime I notice myself like leaning in and trying to like get in it. I just stop and think I believe in their ability to heal and they can feel that energetically and they show up in a different way. I feel like I'm going to take that as an affirmation to share Great. for another time. Or, or wait, I'm going to share this episode. I forgot we're recording a podcast, everyone, because I'm so <laughs> in our conversation. So I'm going to make a note that when I share the podcast, that'll be your quote. I that's hilarious. I seriously was like, wait. You're like, wait, this is what being are we recording? <laughs> Great. Yes. Okay, back to you. Okay. So you went to the, so yeah, you are like, I want to serve more. This is what I want to do. I want to destigmatize. Great word, Trisha, destigmatize divorce. <laughs> so what was like, yeah, what were the first things that you did? Did you start like an online program first? Or it sounded like you were talking about online something. Yeah. So I did, I did B school with Marie Forleo. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to write this course. And I wrote it in about three days because it just poured out of me. It just poured out of me like a fountain of love for people. And I have knew nothing. I mean, I'm psycho. I knew nothing about doing things online and I just took her course, recorded it and, and did it. And I, um, had some connections with um, some wonderful people who had groups for women. So I spoke on a couple of their podcasts and people started finding out about it. But that's, I just kind of followed my heart. But yeah, So the online, creating the online course, that was like anybody could come to at any time and work yeah. through, like you had created 
steps or things for like exactly people to be able to go through at their own time. Exactly. It was four, it's 14 videos going through different parts of divorce, like changing how you think about it, dating again, co-parenting. It was really as if it was like ther- kind of a package therapy protocol um, for people to do online. And then the first 10 women who did it um, didn't want to stop. We had like a couple calls and they didn't want to stop. So I created a membership. So now I have a membership because oh. they, when women come together, um, you know, that, I mean, it is unbelievable how they upright each other. Like they just see the light in another person that they just, um, believe in them that then they start going even higher. And so now it's this amazing community of women who've gone, who are different stages of going through divorce, supporting each other. That's awesome. So does it still exist as a course standalone yeah. too. So you could take it as a course or you could join the membership or do you have to do the course and then? Exactly. You, t- you do it as a course. And as long as you do the course, then you're welcome to join the membership. And then the monthly membership is a you know call with me, a call with an expert. We have experts in all the areas of divorce from legal to financial to emotional, to, I mean, all areas. And then they have a call together and then they have, we have journal exercises every month. So it's really a special group. And they talk about, you know, how, especially during COVID, we were meeting every week because, you know, it was, it was uni- a unique situation to, as you know, to be going through an end of a relationship during COVID. It is an added trauma. Um, so it was really important to have the support of people, women who, who got that piece of it or co-parenting, you know, sh- switching homes during COVID and the testing. Yeah. And the, it's very complicated. Yeah. Yeah, that's so special. Um, I love that you created the membership and the group from it. And then what made you, did you always see it as a book or what made you, and is it different? Like, yeah, did the book come from similar yeah. content Yes, as the program? The book is based, the book is is loosely based on the program. The program has more high touch work. But honestly, um, I had a publisher approach me. They heard about my program and they wanted this book in the world. And so- I said, yes. That's so awesome. So you hadn't visualized it as being a book. No, I mean, going back to what I said before, like I, I, it was a big deal for me to be online, not sitting on the couch with one person. So I wasn't yet to this place of impacting so many with the book. So when it, but when it came to me, of course I said, yes. That's so awesome. And so, yeah, like how long has it been now that you've focused on Again, you still do other things, but yeah, where you started to yeah. work more with divorce and it's been about three, yeah, it's been about three and a half years. And, um, it has been, I have met a community of, of people who in the positive divorce world, who are really mediators, lawyers, divorce coaches, which there are many more now than when I was getting divorced who are really dedicated to this. And it's really exciting to be part of this, this movement. And what, like, I'm guessing so three years is is a good amount of time, but it's not like super long. Like, have you no. noticed any shifts with like what do most people like are struggling with the most? Like, yeah, you know, the destigmatizing part. Like, is do you see that it's the majority? Like, what is it? Like this thing that like I failed or yeah. I think there's two things. I think there's I failed and I, I talk in the book about really shifting how you how you look at relationships and and the ending. Like if you think to yourself, how different it would be if you thought to yourself, my relationship came to its perfect conclusion. It has given me everything I've needed. I think you spoke to that a moment ago. Um, it is now time for me to release this other person 
and for us to do what's best for us now? Like, what if we just thought of it differently? So I think that has been really healing for people when I talk about that kind of shifting that perception. So that's one piece. The other piece is people who have children are just really worried about messing them up. And so I just created a new, a new free course, a free class on how not to screw up your kids um, during a divorce, because people just, I think that's another reason people stay for a long time is they're so worried about the impact. And you and I are testaments to this, but the research supports it. Like if you, it is so much worse for kids to stay in an, in, a, in a home where parents are unhappy than for the divorce to actually happen. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's like I realized, yeah, it's not necessarily going to be easy to go back and forth between houses and stuff like that. But at the same time, if, yeah, if you have two much happier, grounded, yeah, people, like, oh, well. Like, I, I also, too, have always come for life, come from, like, it's an adventure. Like, yay, you'll get to like yeah it's like right. and also something that's helped me is to realize like f- nothing has to be permanent like yeah. I think that so often we see like okay we're going from this like this perfect family unit or this perfect relation you know partnership that we imagined to now everything is done and over looks like this way and especially with the fact of that we us having kids and like things are going to evolve and like we're going to be in our lives for each other like you know like okay it might start like this and we do things now like this way and now it might be okay that next year I'm going to have them for the week and you're going to have the weekends eventually you know based on where like things I'm used to that though from being on a lifestyle of like touring and things change and things aren't constant like there's always constant but there's always changes so then I'm for like that doesn't mean like you can move and you can move too and you can do anything like so I always live from a space of so many possibilities and my partner ex-partner whatever does not and so like forgetting that and that the remembering of like things aren't always you know it's not like we, we imagine like you're divorced and so then you just like are cold to each other yeah don't communicate there's this and I'm like you can still be a family we can still like have family holidays together some years we might want to go on vacation together other times we may not like it's all like it's all life gets to change and evolve and we get to like see as we grow and try things out. That's a gift of, I guess, my being in personality is like that I don't ever feel like this stuck is like this is your choice A or B and that's it yes. for the rest of your life. Yeah, I think that's such a gift to yourself and to your children because you're talking about, you know, releasing that rigidity and therefore they don't have to feel also the feeling that they have to choose or that anything is is set in stone that they have a voice too. I think it's so, I, I'm so glad you're saying this. And I, I wish I heard this from more people because so many people also think that what you decide when they're young or when you're divorcing is going to stay forever. Like, you know, when kids get older, they start having their own desires and their own needs. People say to me all the time, like, cause I say, you know, I always say like, don't talk smack about the other person. Like whatever you do to your kids, like just don't, don't talk to your friends, talk to me, talk like, please. And, um, they say, but I want my kid to know that they did this and this and this, or I want them. And I always say like, your trust that your kids, if you raise them to be aware and present and thoughtful and notice what feels good, what, it, what feels good about being with somebody, they will know if they're not getting that from their other parent. And I see it time and time again. And the kids say, I don't want to go over there. I don't, I don't want to do, you know, they make that decision and that's, they're empowering, feeling empowered versus you telling them something, which yeah. just makes them feel insecure, insecure. You know, kids have to, kids have a biological bond to both parents. 
Yeah, no, I get that. And I think that's so like, I agree. And I'm, yeah, sticking with it. It's like, it can be even easy to want to be like little, like whatever. Oh, totally. Yeah, doesn't plan this well or whatever it could be. Like, well, that's exactly. what he says about I'm, me because I'm <laughs> one, which I'm like, daddy will be so happy when I have my own house because he won't <laughs> complain about the mess. About how messy he is. Like, <laughs> right. whatever. Like, I'm like, I'm like right. that's a good thing for daddy. But, um, right. Yeah, like to try yeah. that. But yeah, like. That There's a lot of zipping your out. lips. And again, yeah. if you are trying to, like, even if you are like, no, this is, you feel something's going to happen. Like, but like, yeah, for kids being able to feel it out for themselves, like that only is going to be so much better for their relationship with you, but also like for their life, for them to be trusting themselves and to be aware and to noticing things. Because exactly. They won't exactly. have to unshould themselves as much as you have. <laughs> right. For sh- that's the goal, right? Isn't that the goal that our kids don't sh- un- have to unshed themselves as much as we do? That's my goal for my kids. Oof. Constantly unraveling. But no, and then it's so the first thing that you were talking about where you said the beautiful message of, you know, like, you know, this perfect ending, stuff like that. Yeah. Because that's also been a sort of hard thing for me. Whereas if I'm, since I'm the one like leading the course on this, even though we're both not happy, that like to then, you know, oh, but you're a good person and there's nothing necessarily, you know, like there are things wrong. But like, again, just even to talk to people about it happening now then and then it, yeah. I don't want to cast a light on him as if he's bad and I'm good and, you know, those sorts of things. So that is a delicate balance that way of even like when the way that you said it, that was so beautiful that it doesn't just feel like, oh, I get to evolve and change and this and like, oh, but am I doing this to like, oh, you know, feeling bad for the other person or feeling guilt in some way or like whatever. I'm getting my way. <laughs> right. But I always remind people, it does not feel good to be with someone who is not happy with you. So you are giving him or an enormous gift. Like yeah. it is, it is a gift. And so I think I hear that a lot, like, but he, but they're nice or they're sweet or they didn't do anything wrong. And so first we have to think about, I talk about this in the book. Like we have to just think about who we talk to about things, like just in general, like we have to think about like, you know, cause we have this wild psychological need um, to prove someone who we know doesn't support us that they're wrong. So we very often go to people who are not going to be understanding and who are going to ask us a lot of needling questions, even if we know that they're going to do that. And so I want to encourage people to really think about who am I going to, what am I telling them and what do I have control over? So you can start saying things like, you know, people say like, Oh, how are things going? You're like, actually, we've made this really wonderful decision for our family to split. And um, we're really hopeful that this is going to make us both much happier or, you know, whatever, like you can just, you can set the freaking tone. Yeah. You can use whatever words you want and people really don't push too much. Or if they do, you can say, yeah, that's what we're doing or something. You know, you, you always can manage what's coming at you. Yeah. Just being like, that's what feels best for us. Like, yeah, right. that's no. And I am someone who was always like, was fine to tell everybody everything and stuff like that. But yeah, it's also like, well, why don't, I also have been someone who has been like, well, you can say because I want to, and that's the right. answer. So I'm yes. leaning back to that version of Trisha. 
it was to been like, yeah, when I don't need to say anything or explain anything. And like most of it has been like, yeah, we've transitioned our relationship. And so I'm, and I'm moving out now or like whatever. But yeah, especially since I said we weren't ever married then saying divorce and breaking up even just sounds weird too after like creating a family with someone. So yeah, like, right. I love the transitioning. I wish every, I wish we used that instead of divorce. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think a lot of the stigma of divorce comes from the stigma of marriage that like being married is this ultimate goal. It's the thing you have to be. And so then there's this divorce is this failure piece. I love the idea. I wish we could call it trans, like we're transitioning. Our relationship is transitioning. Yeah. But yeah, so for whatever your story is out there and your relationship that, yeah, you don't have to give anybody an explanation and just, nope. yeah, we're, this is what's happening. Yeah. Why? Because that's, what's best for us. We've realized <laughs> when I thought you, I really, cause I got this a lot. Like you seem so happy. Well, we are happy. I mean, I don't, I mean, it's like, you don't have to answer that with, well, sometimes, you know, we just start talking too much. Like we, yeah, exactly. Or, like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's probably, yeah, but it's going to be better this way or like whatever. Like, yeah, right. like, don't or, even have yeah. to go into details. Like, right. that's so great that that's what you saw. <laughs> right. That's nice. I like that. Oh, that's such a wonderful memory. Thanks for reminding me. Or like, tell me more, you know. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay. I'm going to get to the questions I ask everybody. And I'm, yeah, I'm again like, what do I do? <laughs> right. Questions I ask everyone, I think. <laughs> I think I do this first. Oh. I think I put up the wrong thing, though. Um, do you see the keychain choices? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the right thing at first. Um, so I ask everybody to pick. These are all phrases from my keychains, from yeah. my product line. And I ask everybody to not necessarily pick which one they like the most, uh -huh. but which phrase they feel they want as a reminder in their life right now and why. So it might be one that's even like a little mm. uncomfortable, but like, I'm going to send yeah. you the keychain. So something that you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'm enough. I am enough. And why are you feeling that one right now? Oh, I think I feel that always. I mean, I think that goes back to what we started, we talked about. I mean, I was, I was really brought up in a, in a system that told me I was not, I mean, there was this other gender that was better than me. And so I'm always struggling with feeling like I'm enough with work, with, as a parent, with my relationship, kind of maybe not as much, but just my having to be, you know, being told at two years old that I was Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. So now I am, I have the PhD and now what, right? It's like, I, no more, like slow down. I'm enough just as I am. So that's why I would say that. That's definitely, I feel like one of the biggest human struggles <laughs> this reach for enoughness, this constant chasing. <laughs> I, I like know. to like ask myself and to people though, like, yeah, we're constantly like, oh, this, then I will be like, a lot of times unconsciously, it's like, have you ever thought and even like thought about what would that feel like? So if I'm not enough right now, and I think it's over there, what would that feel like to like, just allow yourself to even think about what would that feel like? Then you could like, might be able to like grab a hold of it for just a glimpse of time, maybe right. for a really long time. But it's like, so often we're chasing these things, but we don't even like stop to think of what would that, let's I do this, then I can t say I'm successful or once I'm right. ready, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be enough. And it's just like, right. like, have you even thought about what would that actually feel like? Like in my body right now. Right. Well, let me try right. that <laughs> Right. I love that. I was just talking to a friend this, this week because after the book launch, it feels like this real contraction and it's my, my 
instinct, given my life story is like, what's next? And someone said to me like, what's next? And the truth is like, I'm pretty good. Like, uh, what would it be like if I was like, I'm enough, if I want to do something from a place of I'm enough, but what if I stopped the hustle? Yeah. But that's again, it's like the society. Cause you're like, you said, somebody asked you what's next. Cause that's what we're trained to do. Okay. I'm exactly. gonna say, sorry about this. I'm going to ask you what's next, even though you just did right. epic things and you don't need a next step. Like congratulations. On, you know, like, it's it's just, like, I should say something like what's next. Well, I'm still focusing on what's now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, after you have a baby and someone's like, are you going to have more kids? And you're like, I don't even know if yeah, I can get through like, this well, one. Focus on the next step. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, what is something you go to to raise your joy levels when maybe you may be stuck in and I'm not <laughs> stuck? Um, pleasure, 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 pleasure. What type of pleasure? Say more. Okay. <laughs> how much? How much can I say on this podcast? Okay, I was like, I wasn't sure if that's the type of pleasure you're naming. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, mu- like dancing to music that I really like, um, having sex with someone else or myself, um, connecting back to my sensual side is always something I learned from mama Gina and is something that I do all the time. Awesome. Um, is that okay for me to say I can say something? Uh, please. Like, again, this is all about like, yeah, being real yeah. And that's the thing. Like, that's the stupid society conditioning. I'm not, I right. shouldn't say that this <laughs> that's thing what I do. That's the thing that in a minute, pleasure, you know, like, again, like, please say the things that we're afraid <laughs> to say, because that's the point that right. we're not all walking around afraid right. to say things. <laughs> right. And be who we are. Because I yes. shouldn't say that. Exactly. <laughs> I just laugh about the sex with myself thing because when we were having the talk with my son, that's what my husband referred to as masturbation. He was like sometime, and my son, like a few years ago, now 15, was like, Dad, I was terrified when you used that phrase. I had no idea what that meant, where things were going. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're like, yeah, he's your father's old. So he's using this like old phrase. <laughs> anyway, I kind of liked it. I know, but too. I can imagine the boy being like, right. he's like, what is that? Where is that? He's trying to visualize. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. The next question. Well, next question. I'm ready. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Yeah. And uh, I ask everybody to apply that to their own life. So it might be like a way of being or a habit that's embedded of you. So seeing like what is easiest for me is this. What is best for me is this. Yeah. Well, I think I would say like pushing through and hustling, like what's easiest for me is to be like organized and onto the next thing and working, but what's best for me is to rest always. Always. Uh, All right. The last thing is the name of the podcast is claim it because I feel so often we are putting like, Oh, I'll feel enough that then successful, then fulfilled outside of ourselves when really we can claim that for ourselves right now. Mm. Whatever it is that we're chasing. Like so often, like I said, the if then, once I have this, once I'm married, once <sighs> I'm whatever, then I'll feel this. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? I would say I'm claiming that I am safe in my body, in my home, and in my relationship. Love that. So good. Yay. 
you are safe and you're awesome. Thank you so much for sharing and for like doing the work that you've chosen to de- do. Because seriously, yeah, I know that it's needed. And uh, I'm so excited for your book. And also thank you for asking me to help you with that article on psychology today a while back. Because <laughs> that was super fun. <laughs> that was so great. Thank you for everything you do and these amazing questions. This was unbelievable. Oh, you're welcome. This was unlike any other podcast I've ever done. And I went deeper than I have. So thank you. And as a therapist, that's saying a lot. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Definitely send her work and this podcast to anybody that you know that might be going through a divorce or a relationship transition, and hopefully it will be supportive to them. For full show notes, you can go to yourdrialgist.com backslash podcast, and you'll find all the episodes there. You can find Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. She's at The Divorce Doctor on social media, and her website is drelizabethcohen.com. Her book, Light at the Other Side of Divorce, I'll have a link for those in the show notes. Of course, you can find everything me at yourdrialgist.com. And for now, I'm at Your Dryologist, but you know what? I'm going to be changing my name soon, but you can still always find your dryologist because that will always still be one of my accounts since my product line will continue to have that. Okay, I just rambled a little bit about that. I think I'm excited for life changes. (laughs) I will always be your dryologist, but I will soon also be taking my name. And I'm going to talk more about that in a future episode. (laughs) Final thoughts. Oh, you know what? If you haven't yet, please hit subscribe. And also, if you haven't yet, leave a review for the podcast. It really helps the podcast become more found, discovered by people that don't know of me and my work and the guests that I share already. If you leave a review, screenshot it and send it to podcast at yourdryologist.com. And I will send you a gift from my product line as a thank you. I really will. As the final thought... Let's think about what are you claiming for yourself right now? What are you claiming right now? How do you want to feel? Can you try that feeling on? What would it feel like to be enough, to be fulfilled? What is it that you're looking for? Think about it. Try it out. Try it out.